from uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy. Paul was purportedly in captivity at this time, and it was kind of like encouraging or exhorting uh, Timothy to carry on the word, keep the message going. So with that, do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel in the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy, holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us in Jesus Christ before the ages began. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard the deposit I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in, in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. The words of God and the children of God. Grace and peace to you, beloved. Grace and peace to you, Amy. I am Amy Wilson-Feltz. I'm the pastor here at Morningstar, and I'm really glad to be with you. Can you believe it's October? No. Man, so fast. Stu, Stu-tober. <laughs> <laughs> you know his birthday is in October, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> Let's take a deep breath. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So several years ago now, I sat across a table from someone who once considered me to be a friend. Something had shifted in that relationship in the days and weeks and perhaps months leading up to that conversation to the point that I could not do anything right anymore in the eyes of this person. And so I took a deep breath and I said to her, I'm going to have to ask for some grace right now because I am doing the best that I can. And she said, I knew you were going to say that. And you were going to throw that word grace around. Grace is just an excuse for not taking responsibility for yourself. Ouch, right? Uh, I was at a loss for words at that point because grace for me is not an excuse to not take responsibility. But I knew that there was nothing I could say in that moment that would really change her mind. I felt a bit shocked that someone would view grace in that way, especially someone in the church. And I knew I needed to take a step back and to think about why grace is so misunderstood in our world today. Because we need grace now more than ever, I might say. But we've created in our society and in our church this culture where there is no margin for error anymore. And it leaves me at least feeling hesitant to try anything new. It's not that I'm afraid to fail. I'm actually not afraid to fail. That's how we learn. But I am weary 
of the constant criticism. And perhaps you can relate to that. But the good news is grace is the best antidote I know for this kind of a situation. And grace fits extremely well in our worship series, which we're calling Confirmed, It's Not What You Know. So far, we've talked about what it means to be created. We've talked about what it means to be redeemed, to, to have this value added in our life through Jesus the Christ. We've talked about the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain us with our every breath. And grace is the thread that runs through all of these core tenets of our faith. Grace fuels God's creative work. Grace is what adds the value to our life. Grace is what makes our being sustained even possible. It's also the product of our being sustained. As we grow in the grace that God gives us, we're able to give more grace. So as grace works in us, grace is produced in us. And that's all part of God's master plan. That's what Steve just read for us this morning from the letter to Timothy that we call Second Timothy. And the Apostle Paul is writing to his student and his partner in ministry, and he says, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to God's own purposes and grace. Now, it may seem kind of weird to use an introduction to a short letter as the basis for an entire sermon, but Paul packs an important statement of faith into these verses. In his words to Timothy, Paul asserts that grace is the work of God, revealed by Jesus and nurtured by the Holy Spirit. The work of God, revealed through Jesus and nurtured by the Holy Spirit. So he didn't use this language yet, the language of the Trinity, because it hadn't been applied to God yet. It would be a couple hundred years before that would happen. But Paul is highlighting the work of the Trinity, particularly the work of grace. But what is grace? Really, how do you define it? I'd love to know. What's grace? How do you talk about grace? Love. Love is a good one. What else? Okay, I heard tw two things, but they cancel each other out. Say it again. Linda. Empathy is grace. What else? Forgiveness. Kindness. Acceptance. Kindness. It's a free gift. That's right. So you gave me these great words of the ways that we experience grace, which is a free gift, Pat. And that's how I like to talk about it. It's something good that we don't deserve and we cannot earn. And that second part is really key. We cannot earn it because, as Pat says, it's a gift. It's a free, unmerited gift. Now, we can ask for it, as I did in the conversation that I mentioned at the beginning of our time together, but whether grace is given or not is completely out of our control. And that's one of the things that makes it so beautiful because grace, particularly the grace of God, can put everything else into perspective. Everything else in life can be put into perspective through grace. And that's at least part of Paul's point in this letter. As Steve said, Paul was in captivity. He had been beaten and arrested and imprisoned several times at this point for sharing the good news, right? for, for challenging the cultural norms. It's believed, in fact, that this letter 
to Timothy was the last piece of correspondence that Paul ever wrote before he was condemned and killed. History tells us that Paul had been acquitted at least once before, but this time a reprieve did not look promising, and Paul knew that. He knew that his death was imminent, and he writes a letter of encouragement to his friend and his co-worker. Don't be ashamed, he says. The power of God is at work and has been at work since before the beginning and will continue to be at work for God's own purposes. To be able to take part in the purposes of God in our very lives, that's the gift. A gift of grace that comes to us in many forms. Now, this is a foundational teaching in our Methodist understanding. I was actually told by a professor in seminary, if anyone ever asked me to describe Methodist theology in one word, grace is the word. Now, we also know that John Wesley, one of the founders of our Methodist movement in the 18th century in the Church of England, used many, many words, big words. He used three big words to talk about grace, three at least, prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying. And I know that many of you have heard these words before, but it's worth going over together in the community because this is how, as Methodists, we understand grace to be at work in our lives. So let's just start at the top. Talking about when we speak about salvation most often. Justification is the way that God brings us back into right relationship with God, just as if we'd never turned away. We often connect justification with our baptism and our commitment to follow Jesus in gratitude for the saving grace of God. That's justifying grace. Sanctifying grace is God's grace as it continues to work in us helping us to live more like Jesus, helping us to become spiritually mature. It takes practice, and the Holy Spirit is at work helping us grow in that practice. Now, it's important to note here that we're talking about one grace. Just as we talk about the Trinity as one God in three persons, we're talking about one grace in three forms, in, in three expressions, in the way that we experience it as human beings. But it's all a gift. To demonstrate this point earlier in the 915 service, I invited the children to come forward. And they sat right here with me because these are big words, right? We struggle to understand the meaning of these three words. And I wanted the kids to understand what I was talking about too. So I told them I had a gift for them that was in this basket and that I had been planning to give them this gift for five days, long before they even knew that I was going to give them this gift. And that's one way that God's grace works. The gift was coming before they knew about it. God's grace is a gift that's all around us even when we don't know that it's there. That's provenient grace. I told them that this gift, it's a notebook and a pencil, lets them know that I love them and I want what is best for them. And as I give it to them, I was telling them, things are good with us. I'm okay with you. You're okay with me. If we had a problem, 
this would be the time to talk about it so that we could be okay with each other if we weren't. And that's how God's grace works too. It keeps us right with God and right with each other. And then I gave them the gift. And I told them, this is yours. You can do whatever you want with it. You can use it whenever you want. You could use it if you want to, to draw me a picture as I'm preaching or to write something that you hear and remember. Because I want the kids to grow in their faith. And I told them that. I want you to grow in your faith. And I truly believe at the bottom of my heart that you need to be here and worship to do that with the adults as we're all learning together about how to do this. That's sanctifying grace. And then I asked them to go back to their seats and to draw me a picture. It was a really great moment. And then I stood up in front of the adults as I am standing in front of you now to ask for your grace. Because kids can be loud. Really loud. And it takes some patience to do what we're trying to do here, but it's only been three weeks since we welcomed the kids into the sanctuary for worship after years of sending them somewhere else. And for their own spiritual growth and development and for the richness of our community, they need to be in worship with us. They need to be allowed to be kids while they're in worship with us as well. They need to know that we have prepared for them to be here. That's provenient grace. They need to know that they belong here and we want them here just as they are. That is justifying grace. And they need to know that we're all going to work together to learn how to do this in a way that works for everyone. That's sanctifying grace. And it's messy, y'all, and it's, we're not going to get it right every week. Last week was rough. If you were here at 9.15 and that's why you're here at 11.15 today, I get it. Like, I, I get it. It was rough. It was rough for me, too. But that's why grace is so important. And it's not about making excuses. It's about learning and growing together in every stage of life, at every age, intergenerationally. Because we made baptismal vows. We promised to support these children. And this is what that looks like, even if it's uncomfortable for us sometimes. Worshiping with children is just one example in this community because we're facing a lot of challenges right now, and that's no secret. But there's nothing more important in those times of challenge than showing grace. Grace is what saves us in this life and in the next. Paul told us that too. He also said that grace is what makes us strong in our weakness. And nothing points people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus better than more grace. Nothing. But it's a process. It's the process of sanctification God's sanctifying grace at work in our lives. And what this means, I really want you to hear this. What this means is that every conflict you have, especially conflict with other people, is an agent of your sanctification. Your conflict with other people makes those people agents of your growth in the grace of God. All of the struggles, all of the grief, all of the pain, as we learn and grow through it all, it increases our ability to receive and share grace. It's true. And nothing could be healthier for a community, especially a community of faith, a community of people 
who claim to follow Jesus. This is, this is the easiest way I know to be countercultural. The church is not countercultural anymore. By and large, we live our lives just like everybody else does. But if we want to be countercultural, this is a way that we could do it with grace, in right relationship with each other. And we'll talk more about that next week. But for now, let's start with giving each other the benefit of the doubt. And with assuming that we mean well. And with acknowledging that we're doing the best that we can. And with recognizing that we are all human. Most of us are overwhelmed and exhausted right now for one reason or another. And instead of judging or criticizing, even behind each other's backs, maybe we could offer to help or at least stay silent. That's one of the purposes of the gift of grace in the first place, for us to grow in this understanding that we have been graced by God to give grace. We have been graced by God to give grace in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen.